All right, all right. Well, good morning, New Life Church. Let's, good to see you. Let's find our way back to our seat this morning. Awesome. All right, well, who's ready for the word today? All right, awesome. Good to hear that. Well, let's get ready for that. I've asked uh, Thomas, he's one of our elders here, uh, to bring the message uh, today, the final Sunday of the year. So let's get ready for Thomas uh, as he comes. Come on, Thomas. <laughs> Thank you. What they say, they save the best for last. It's all right, flat joke. Well, I'm glad my family came <clears throat> because uh, I got a crowd to preach to, otherwise there'd be nobody here today. That's not true, but I know people are gone with their families and <clears throat> uh, it's a good time of the year. By the way, all this is uh, my immediate family, my brothers and my sister and their kids, and we have one set of great-grandchildren somewhere tearing something up in the building somewhere, I'm sure. But anyway, we've had a... I'll get a little bit louder, Jake, don't worry. <clears throat> uh, we've had uh, 33 people in our house for Christmas Day. It's been wild. Lots of food, sleep deprivation, uh, noise. Uh, we were in the... Abigail and I left early and we were in the truck and she was going, there's no noise, and <laughs> the truck was so quiet. <laughs> That's pretty normal. <clears throat> anyway, praise the Lord. You guys have a good Christmas? All right. Very good. Well, uh, you probably heard some of the stuff I'm going to say today, and I was asking the Lord a couple of weeks ago, actually several weeks ago, and about what to share at the end of the year. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, we... We get busy with life, and it's really easy to get caught up in the nuts and bolts of life and forget the important things. And the important thing is really God's kingdom. Everything that he has given us is a tool to build up his kingdom. So I don't care what you do, whether you're a rocket scientist or uh, you're a, you know, just a helper in a store or or whether you're a great intellectual who's written 25 books and people don't know what they say. It doesn't matter. <clears throat> These are all tools God gives us. And very often what we do is we uh, have been fed this, I think, not maybe intentionally, fed this line that somehow the work of the kingdom is just the work of the clergy and, and the evangelists. It's not. We're the church. Pastor Jeremy has a job to do, just like you have a job to do. And if you think his job is to lead people to the Lord, you're sadly mistaken. Or to be a witness for Christ, okay? That's the role the Lord's given him. And he's not above anybody else. He's not below anybody else. We're part of this big body. But I've found this to be very true in most churches I speak at and people I speak. They think, well, we put our money in the offering, send our missionaries to wherever, uh, do the Christmas thing. You know, whenever we have disaster, we'll put our thing in go once a year somewhere and do our little blitz and come back. 
and the rest of the time um, we're not actively engaged in building kingdom and you, if you know if you've been around me much you know that that's all I care about I don't care about what church you go to what denomination you're part of or what your particularly secondary beliefs are the primary thing is that Jesus Lord <clears throat> right he came he died for our sins he was buried he was resurrected and he's coming again and these are things we can agree on whether you should wear your hair long or cover your head or wear jewelry or speak in tongues or don't these are all secondary issues and there's no need for us to get all split up over those things even though we do right <clears throat> So what happens is that uh, kingdom is all I care about. I don't care which church grows. As a matter of fact, when another church grows or somebody else other than us, I'm happy for them. Why? Because we're part of one big family. And God be praised that people are not dying and going to hell, but they're coming to the Lord. And that's all we should be concerned about. And uh, it's not just that. You know, God given us a family, and uh, we, like any other family, we will squabble and quarrel and... You know, but we'll get over it. If you don't, come to me, I'll set you straight. <clears throat> anyway, so the thing that I asked the Lord about is, Lord, what, do you, what do you want? And what I find out is that in the business of life, that I get distracted from the main thing that the Lord called me to do. Okay? So one of the things that the Lord's called me to do is to pray. Okay? I pray. Uh, he's called me to preach. He's called me to uh, teach and to lead worship. <clears throat> but in a citywide context, this is what I do with pastors. You know, I'm kind of one of the guys who puts things together between churches. And, but it's all about the kingdom. When I look at Jackson, I don't see 250 churches. You know, I just see one church. Because that's what it is. You know, we may live in different homes, but we're still one family, just like my 25 people in my family that live in different homes, but we're still the same family. Every so often we come together to one place and do something together. It doesn't change the relationship. And on that day, so every, every day that we are part of this family, we have to see what's going on in our house. <clears throat> and here's something I want you to grasp, that Jackson, the Lord, you didn't just show up here by accident. I'm very high on the sovereignty of God. God led you to Jackson. If, if I sit down with each other and says, yeah, the Lord's been leading me, fine. If you're not here by accident, in this church or in the city. And if the Lord has given you this land, <clears throat> it's no different than what he said in Exodus chapters 5 through 8, where he tells the Israelites, look, I'm taking to a land that doesn't belong to you to take hold of it and to possess it. And it's our job as believers to take and hold and possess that land. The devil should be afraid of us. You know, I heard a pastor, Yong Cho, who at that time was pastor of the largest church in the world, which is in Seoul, Korea. They're like 300,000 members or something. They couldn't even have a church service together because there were too many people. They met in homes, right? And this is one of the few things I remember. <clears throat> Happened to be passing by a room when he, somebody was listening to him preach. I don't know how old I was, maybe in my 20s, early 20s. I can say that now. But anyway. <laughs> and uh, he says, you know, and he had his typical Korean accent. He was going, you know, you Americans, when you get up in the morning, you go and, oh, Lord, I have a tough day today, and I've got this. Please help me with that. I'm poor. And this. You know what I say when I get up? I say, devil, I'm coming for you. <laughs> this guy prays four hours a day. <laughs> he does. <laughs> and, you know, we should be like that. When Jesus showed up, 
uh, and the island, you know, these, these guys, these demonics said, please, why have you come to get us out before our time has come, right? So this is our heritage, and this is who we are. So the thing I want to talk to you today about <clears throat> is finding your place in the kingdom. Find your place. <clears throat> All of us, regardless of what our capabilities are, have been endowed with something the Lord has put inside of us that makes us work for the kingdom of God. I don't care what it is. Okay? It's all a tool. Everything that we have belongs to the Lord. Whether it's our skill at doing math, or construction, or preaching, or teaching. And what they do is they open up and create avenues by which you can share Jesus with people. That's all it is. You know, if you ever come to our house, there's a steady traffic of people going through. And what I've realized uh, from living that way is that the Lord spoke to me. He says, I've done more pastoring out of my living room than I have any pulpit in all these years of working for the Lord. Why? Because, you know, you can think a guy off the street is going to come off here and talk to you about Jesus. Because we made our churches as sterile and... Uh, Sometimes I think places that people are afraid to come in because they're, you know, that church crowd. And we have our own language we call Christianese, you know, people from outside come in, they don't understand what the heck we're talking about. And we need to be able to communicate with people, no matter what it is. And let people be who they are. You know, most people who are messed up know they're messed up. They don't need somebody to tell them, hey man, your life's messed up, okay? They don't. And especially those who don't know, they're very honest about their own depravity. They say, yeah, man, I'm just a messed up guy. I know where I'm going. Half the guys who aren't saved tell me that right away. So they don't need you to sit on their head and say, this is where you're going. What we need to be is try to be signposts for Jesus. And many years ago, I, you know, when I first started pastored, uh, the Lord gave me a very simple picture about what to do. And this is really a message for all of us. He, you know, I, the Lord shows me things in, in visions sometimes and just as pictures because I'm a creative person. And he says, this is all your job is. Get your tray. And he just showed me. I was holding this big tray. He says, come to me. And he says, I'm going to load it up with stuff. Then your job is to take that tray and go walk around and hand it to people and say, good stuff, good stuff, good stuff. Your job is not to cram it down their throat. Or say, you better eat this, otherwise you're going to die and go to hell. No. You just present it to the Lord. The Lord is an attractive person. And if we're good representatives of him, people will not refuse him. See, people followed Jesus everywhere he went. You just read any instant. I mean, he had to, come on, he had to put out to sea just so the people wouldn't crowd him. He hasn't changed. So why is it that people run away from Jesus when we go around with him? That is a question we need to ask ourselves. Okay? So if Jesus is working the way he should in our lives, we shouldn't have to say too much. People will know. In spite of our weaknesses, in spite of our different... I mean, Peter, you can talk about a guy putting his foot in his mouth. This guy lived with his feet in his mouth all the time. He did. He was a fisherman. You have been around fishermen and sailors? You have to take a bath after they finish talking. They cuss so much. That's the guy he was. <clears throat> But Jesus cleaned them up, you know? So finding a place in the kingdom.
So everybody has a destiny. This is at least my belief. Psalm 139 tells us that the Lord says that all the days, the psalmist says that all the days of my life were known to you before even one of them ever came to be. The Lord knows when you're going to be born, when you're going to die. He also knows what you're going to do in between. So I think we should find out what it is that we're supposed to be doing. All right? And I'm just kind of rambling, but there's a point to all of this. <clears throat> this is my way of doing things, you know that. All right. So this is one of the things that uh, my dad preaches about constantly. Well, I have heard on many occasions. And, uh, you know, we pass things on. My parents have passed on a lot of things to me. Uh, he says there are two big decisions that a person makes in their life. One is the first big one. What do you do with Jesus? You got to be for him or against him. There's no coasting area in between. Jesus himself said that. Okay, assuming that you decide to go with Jesus, follow him, then the next big decision you can do is let him decide for you. We have brains, we have capabilities, we have understanding, maybe we have a lot of education. But I'm telling you, there is not a thing that you can do without Jesus making it work for you. <clears throat> Long time ago, I was trying to figure out what to do with some things. And I was before the Lord praying. And he gave me a very simple, he said, I'm a word picture guy because I think people understand things that they see really easy. And so the Lord told me that you know, my method was all wrong in trying to figure out what his will for my life was. He says, what you're doing, and he really showed me this picture. He says, so there's a bunch of stuff written on a page, things that Thomas wants to do with his life. They're all good things. None of them are bad. I'm just write them all down. And at the bottom, there's a little line. that says Thomas on one side and Jesus on the other side. And I said, Jesus, sign here, please. Okay? This is what we do. We say we want to follow the Lord's will, but we actually preempt them in the very planning process. Because we think that, well, you know, he's not going to do everything for me. I just need to do something too. God helps those who help themselves. Only thing is we can't help ourselves. We're so screwed up, we don't know what to do when we wake up. So that's the truth of the matter, okay? <clears throat> so he said, your problem is that you got too much stuff on your page. So he flipped the page around and he showed me a blank page like this. And at the bottom was one place. It said, Thomas. He said, sign here. He said, well, what are you going to put on there? <laughs> he said, you don't trust me? Sign your name. I'll tell you where it's going to be. Well, you know, I just got cold feet at that point, even though I was saying this. Because this is what we do. We want to be in control of our lives. We want to be in control of every little thing we do. And we just want the Lord to approve it. Because we think it makes sense. But what does God tell us already? My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. I can tell you after living 30 years in this country, when I came with a suitcase in my hand, that definitely his ways are not my ways and his thoughts are not my words. I just need to sign this piece of paper, let him fill it in as we go along. Okay? This is the only way you'll find out what your place in the kingdom is. And God's not some sadistic guy who's just sitting out there going, well, you know, I need you to work for my kingdom. And there's some things I need you to do. Well, I'll leave you alone for the rest of your life and let you figure it out. That's not what he does. What did Jesus say? 
we see. John chapter 16, verses 13 through 15. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatever he hears, he shall speak, and he will announce to you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will receive of mine and announce it to you. All things that the Father has in mind, therefore I said that he will take of mine and announce it to you. So who is the Holy Spirit? One of the names of God is what? Counselor. What does a counselor do? Give you advice. So this is one part of our life that we neglect. And we can't really get to this place unless we start to spend time with the Lord. And I encourage you. I don't care how you do it, whether you do it ten times a day, one hour at a time, or one minute at a time. Learn to cultivate the habit of the presence of the Lord and the Holy Spirit. Just immediately say, Lord, I need some help. I'm, I'm working this problem. I think I know how to fix it. But still, I need your help. And uh, part of the Holy Spirit's job is to tell us what's on God's mind. That's how he reveals himself to us. Not only just through the word, circumstances, people. Sometimes he'll give you visions. Sometimes you may have a dream. Sometimes somebody may come in and put their finger in your face and say, Hey, you, this is what the Lord says. Right? <clears throat> but these are different ways. So, you know, learn to cultivate the presence of the Holy Spirit. And he will show you what you're supposed to be doing. Now... I want to take three people that I find interesting in Scripture and show you how God used them. Okay? Joseph, Nehemiah, and Daniel. All right? So the first thing we have to be is like Paul says, I've learned whatsoever state I am in to be content in that state. And that doesn't mean Tennessee. I don't know, that's a joke. I could be content in Hawaii maybe or Colorado or Wyoming where my brother lives. Um, wherever you are is where you're supposed to be. Yeah, one of those profound statements. <clears throat> if you believe that God is directing your life and he's leading you, what does it say? The steps of a righteous man? ordained by the Lord. He will not let him falter or stumble, right? Because his hand sustains him. If that's the case, see, God's not illogical about it. If that's the case, let's just follow it. Then, wherever you are is where you're supposed to be. Unless you're being stupid like Jonah and running off, and then a whale has to spit you back out on Nineveh. Don't let that happen. Belly of a whale is a nasty place to be. Been there, done that. Okay? So let's just take the case of Joseph, Genesis chapter 39, verses 2 through 5. You know what was common with these three people? None of them were where they thought they were supposed to be, right? Joseph was taken and sold into slavery. He was in Egypt, right? Nehemiah was in exile because the Israelites have been captured by the Persians and they were, you know, they spent several generations. Daniel was also not at home. He was in exile. So in a way, this is the state of all believers. We're in exile. This world is not my home, old Jim Reeves song. This world is not my home. 
I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. This world is not our home. But while we're in exile, there are things that the Lord has for us to do. And this is part of finding a place. All right, let's just take an example. Joseph, all right? So, and Jehovah, let me just read this. And Jehovah was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that Jehovah was with him, and Jehovah made all he did to prosper in his hand. And this is always the result of those who are in the right place doing their thing. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him. And he made him overseer over his house. And he put into his hand all he had. And it happened from time, from the time he had made him overseer in his house and over all he had, that Jehovah blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of Jehovah was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. So here's what the Lord does. And this is a common theme. The reason he has has us in exile is so that we can be a witness of God's grace and his goodness, and we can let people know who God is. He's not out mean to get you, you know, to make you listen or do a heavenly zap because you screwed something up. No. I have found this to be true. Okay? And I've told these guys this before. We are life givers. What did you say? Whoever drinks of this water, out of him will flow rivers of living water. We're life givers. You're all like E.T. With this little finger, you know, you touch a plant, it comes back to life. You have to understand this, and we all have to understand this, that when we move, heaven moves with us. Who are we? We are the temple of right? God. This is the body, right? I know it's all messed up, but that's okay. When we move, wherever we go, we carry the kingdom of heaven with us. And there's a tangible difference that happens in the spirit and the atmosphere when a person of God walks into that place. You know, I've been in the presence of some people like that. And they say that, you know, Corey Ten Boom, whenever she walks in the place, the whole place just changes. She's been through a lot of suffering. I've been in my house when that has happened with my parents. Things should change when Christians walk into a place. We should not stay the same. Why? Because we're like Jesus in that sense. Nothing stays that Jesus passed through a place, something or the other happened. Somebody was healed, somebody got mad, but it did not stay the same. There's always some change going on. So the other thing I found out is that God puts us in places and he makes us instruments of blessing for other people. So I want to give you a simple example, okay? I'm one day at my office, working at my desk. This is my last job I was at. And the Lord's given me favor with my boss. For some reason, he and I have connected from day one. And unlike, you know, he was the president of my company, but I was one of the few people that he would really open up to. We'd be sitting in a car, and, and I could say whatever I wanted. I was really honest with him about things. And I was sitting at my desk, going through some paperwork. I don't know. Some, I don't even remember what it was. And I'm downstairs. He's upstairs in his office. And the Lord said, go talk to Jimmy. I'm like, what about? He says, just go. You need some fresh air. I'm like, okay. So I go up to his office and, you know, he's busy doing his work and knock, knock. Hey, Jimmy. Hey, Thomas. What's going on? Oh, nothing. I just came to see what you're up to. <laughs> I mean, this is what, not what your CEO, boss president wants to hear, right? You're supposed to be working. 
<laughs> so you're going to go chit-chat with him in the morning. I did. I just went out. I said, we just had blah, blah. I'm telling you, before my very eyes, I saw his countenance change. And about 10 minutes of conversation later, he was a different person. I went back to my desk. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. So what does a light do? Let me just look at this. That dumb thing is just screwed into that socket. And the only time it works is somebody flips the switch on. It doesn't go anywhere, doesn't do anything else except come on. But it's a light. How much light does it take to dispel darkness? Anybody have a measure on that? Any amount of light will dispel darkness. Any amount. So don't think of yourselves as small, as insignificant, because any amount of light will dispel darkness. So God uses you. God uses you to be a blessing to other people. So that's Joseph. And then eventually we know a story about Joseph. You know, he became ruler land and he became an instrument of blessing to his entire nation, not just Egypt. Because of his dreams, Egypt didn't suffer during the famines, right? So I found this out, that God gives you certain gifts in exile when you're in the world to make you valuable to the people around you who don't understand anything but performance and production, okay? This is one of the gifts the Lord's given me. So I can look at something and see if it's going to work or not. I can tell you how many months it's going to break down and if it's a bad plan as far as production goes. Because, you know, most of your bosses think they know better than you and they just carry on, right? Because they don't know what the heck you're doing because they don't know the nuts and bolts as much and your job is to give them advice. Say, look, this is not going to work and here are the reasons why. Here's how long it might work. We need to be prepared for this if this is the way we're going to do but I found out that 50% 50 of, 50 of the time, you know, because they're used to making decisions and they say, well, no, this doesn't make any sense. So, so here's what I found out happens in my life. I look at something, I give some advice, something happens and someone says it's not going to work and I go, okay, might as well prepare for it because I know when it's going to break down. Right? So it's true enough because people, oh man, a prophetic gift. No, it's not a prophetic gift. It's just discernment. The Lord gives you a gift to know how to work things and so six months down the road, everything falls apart. Guess what? Thomas has a rescue plan. Because he saw it happening six months ago. Why? Because the Lord has gifted me with that ability to see how things work out. So now you fix the problem, all of a sudden, oh man, man, we had all this stuff going on and he came up with an idea and it all worked out and fixed it all. And in my mind, I'm going, if you listened to me six months ago, dummy, we wouldn't be here. But you don't say that to your bosses. So <clears throat> what I found out is that it's inevitable that God uses systems failure in the world, in whatever system you might be, to inject his people in to provide solutions. That's the only worth people understand if they don't know the Lord. They don't care who you are. If people don't know the Lord, they place value on what you produce, not on you. Okay? And that's the token the currency that the Lord uses to make you valuable to them, he gives you an open door. At that point, 
you'll have something to start saying to people. I don't care where you are. Translate that into any situation you're in. Whether you're a nurse, you're a doctor, a student, you're a teacher, it doesn't matter. Even children. Okay, next one, Nehemiah. This is what I call God's building plan through moping. We all do building plans through borrowing money, collecting loans, you know, whatever it is. Nehemiah's building plan, he didn't actually have one. So, reconstruction through moping. So what is this? Nehemiah's walking around with a long face one day, and the king sees him and says, what's your problem? I'm translating all this into modern-day vernacular, right? So, oh, Jerusalem, my home city, the walls are all torn, and the... He says, oh, okay, so what do you need? There's a king, right? And we will find ourselves, if we're not kings ourselves, always in positions like this where kings will say, what do you need? So, well, this is what he says, here you go. He gives them authority to collect stuff, to collect people, go back to, he still had to work. You know, when they were building the walls, you know, they had a sword in one hand and they were putting the wall, they still had to work. But he was given the authority and the resources to reconstruct the walls. Now, I just want to know how many people use this plan of construction to do building. Hardly anybody, all right? All right, so Nehemiah was in exile too. He wasn't some guy having his own business, you know, being a millionaire or whatever it was. Right? Okay. I could read all that. That's Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. You can read it on your own. But the line that says is, For the king said to me, What do you ask? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it please the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I pray that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may build it. And the king said to me, the queen also, For how long shall you journey me, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Letters are given to him, authority, say. Okay, moving on. Daniel. <clears throat> so Daniel has several things that he does. One of the main ones, you know, kings are writing on the wall, right? The book of Nazar. He didn't know what it meant. And all these guys in the kingdom came and said, oh, blah, blah, blah. Nobody knew. Finally, his mother says, you know, there is a guy here whom God has given the gift to understand these things. Maybe he can tell you. So Daniel comes and interprets the dream. And what does the king do? As a result, the king made Daniel great. Daniel 2.48. And gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over all the province of Babylon and the chief of the prefects over all the wise men of Babylon. Why am I using all these people? See, any of these guys could have said, oh, woe is me, I'm in prison, I'm having trouble, everybody's oppressing me. No, they knew who they were, they knew who their God was, and they cried to the Lord, and the Lord gave them things that they could use to change the things around them. So, you know, I'm of the mindset, the Lord brought me to Jackson, okay? 
This is my home now. And Jackson belongs to me. And by golly, I'm not going to let the devil have it. It's just that simple. And we should have this mindset. This is our home. We ask the Lord, we pray, and we do whatever it takes to build the kingdom of God by loving people, forgiving people, by not being idiots, not being obnoxious, be kind, make peace, don't let somebody speak bad about another Christian. I won't put up with it. I've had instances where people come in, you know, man, that pastor over there, I know I can say this to you. I said, no, you can't say that to me. Says, if you've got a problem with that pastor, you go take it up with him. But I'm not going to sit here and listen to you, you know, say all bad things about him. I don't care if it's true or not. I'm not going to put up with it. It doesn't make you very popular among some people, but who cares? You know, I'm so worried about being popular. So. <clears throat> don't be limited by traditions that limit or designate that this is the work of God. And we're very good about it here in this church about not doing that. Pastor Jeremy is very good about it. We all have places. And to tell you the truth, what we do here every Sunday morning is a little microcosm of what we should be doing. We have people setting stuff up, people tearing stuff down. Uh, you know, he can't do it by himself. If we just left it to the church staff to do it, man, they'd be overworked and quitting before long. We own a piece of this. We own a piece of the kingdom, and we ought to act like it. So we need to find our place. How are you going to know what to do if you don't know your place? You can't make it up. You can't say, well, this is what I'm inclined to do. No. You ask the Lord to show you what it is, and he will reveal it to you. The Lord, Scripture tells us, I can't remember exactly where, the things that are hidden belong to God, the things that are revealed belong to man. So God's method of showing us what is hidden is by revealing it to us. If it's not revealed to us, don't worry about it. Don't get in an argument with somebody else about it. You know, I found something out. My role, I'm a builder. That's my primary function. I can decorate. I can plan. I'm a builder. Once the building is done, I need to get out of the way and let the decorators do their job. I don't want everybody in this house to be a builder. Please don't. You'll get in my way. Go find your thing to do. If you're another builder or two, maybe we can get together and do something together. All right? So don't, well, this is what I meant by, we, we kind of make our own little groups. This is what they do. This is what I do. You know, maybe we should get them to do this now. Whether you're preaching or leading worship or whatever it is, we need to find the people that God sends us in order for us to do that job, just like Nehemiah did. And then build after that. You know, one of the worst things we do to new believers in a church, and hopefully we don't do this, let's put them to work. No, let's not put them to work. Let's disciple them and show them what the Word says so that they know how to do the work. Instead of just throwing them in the middle of something, and then you have personality clashes, and then you have, you know, because they might be smart people, but they are baby Christians. They don't know how to make decisions in the, in the kingdom. They don't know how to speak the truth in love. They'll bulldoze through your entire whatever you work for the year, and before you know it, you've got a wreck going on in the church. It happens all the time. I see it all the time. 
I get on to some of my brothers about it. Pastors, you know. This is one of the cool things about being in favor. So, you know, our JAMA group, which is fine. You know, we have black people, white people, in-between people. That'd be me. But uh, uh, everybody knows I don't have a dog in the race. I mean, there's a lot of racist thing that goes on, you know, in the South, and, you know. So I am actually, it's given me freedom to speak my mind. So, and I don't know what I'm about to say may offend everybody in the house, but I was at a, at a, at a uh, racial reconciliation dialogue meeting that's been going on for several years now. I'm involved in some of these. And one of the things, um, and I don't mean to offend anybody really, but I had to ask a question. Because uh, I have really close uh, friends who are black pastors, and I have really close friends who are white pastors, and I've got, I mean, I've got other, and I really have good relationships, I still do to this day, even though we disagree, we are good friends. And we were just sitting about, you know, what's, what are the real issues that divide, the, why all this big racial, because on Sunday morning, Jackson is the most segregated town, place in town. I, I don't know if you know that. Our church is an exception. I mean, look around, you see every size, size shape, and color in here, right? But on the whole, if you take 250 plus churches in Jackson, you can pretty much say, well, here's white churches and here's black churches. And there's maybe a smattering of churches where they mix together. Am I right? Why is that? And don't tell me, oh, it's, it's the best way. No, it doesn't. You know? So we're sitting talking about stuff. And we're talking about, you know, the harms that have been done through generations, through slavery, through, you know, uh, the whole process of emancipation. Now still some people don't realize what it has done. So my simple question was, what can this generation do to make up for the sins of the fathers? They can't. What is done is done. We cannot we can treat people not the same way, but with respect and dignity and not make the same mistakes. And so my question is, is when does it become enough when we stop demanding reparation or restitution? At what point? Because see, that's the point at which change happens. If I've offended Justin, and Justin's, I know, and I've said, okay, Justin, I know, I'm sorry, what can I do to make this right? You tell me. And he says, I don't know, you just offended me and I'm just going to stay offended. What do you think is going to happen? No change. We'll be in the same hole. We'll just keep going around the mountain for how many other generations time to come. So let's be peacemakers. And if you're a believer, you be the first one to bend Not for the wrong reasons, but, you know, for the right reasons. All right. In case you think I'm just making all this up, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Yes, believe it or not, I'm going to wrap this up before 1230. I promise, just stick with me and I won't preach to you for the rest of the year. That's the truth. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For, 
Here's the line. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Nobody has to go out there and invent the things that you think you're supposed to be doing. Okay, I have a friend who says that God has calculated our stupidity into his sovereignty. He knows where we're going to be on any given day. And he's already prepared the good work. See, I think confusion in our life comes from putting our hands to things that we think we should be doing as opposed to things that we know we should be doing. So if you are inclined and tempted to put your hands to things that you think you should be doing, sit tight till you know. Sometimes we're quick to say no because we don't have a yes. Sometimes we're quick to say yes to something because we don't have a no. But I'm telling you, both are equally bad decisions. God is not in the business of leaving you in the maybe position. Okay. Let's take the example of Jesus sending out his disciples, all right? What did he tell his disciples? Well, go. Let's see if you raise the dead. Let's see if you heal the sick. Let's see. I don't know. Go see what happens. Was that what he said? There's an imperative. He said, go. Heal the sick. Right? Raise the dead. That's where he is always. We have to believe and walk in that confidence. It's all right. Messing up for the Lord is the best thing you could ever do for your faith. Let your tree be shaken till all that is useless falls out from it, and what you got left is good. Don't be afraid of that. <clears throat> I've learned <clears throat> that when the Lord shakes my tree, let it be shaken. I don't grow otherwise. And I don't have confidence in the things that I have. We're constantly trying to conform other people to our way of thinking because we don't know what we think ourselves. We've created this nice little place and fortress, and we shall not be shaken. What does it say? hundred years of tradition, unhampered by progress. We do that mentally. All right, one last thing. Well, next last thing. So who is the author and finisher of our faith anyway? Hebrews chapter 12. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. See, Jesus was never in doubt about what he was going to do. Even at 12 years old, what do you tell Joseph Mary? I'm about my father's business. Why are you worried? This is where I'm supposed to be. Our life's no different. So this is what I want you to think about. You look back on 2015. See where you were. Look forward to 2016. Don't be in the same place. Find what God wants you to do next year. And this time of prayer and fasting is a great time. Prayer and fasting will divorce you from your flesh long enough for you to gain your senses so that when you go back <laughs> to normal living, you don't lose sight of what the Lord is doing. If you look through scripture, God's always taking these people into wild places to speak to them. You know, Moses on top of the mountain, Paul in the desert, Israelites for 40 years till he finally figured out what God was saying. Desert's a good place to be. All the fat comes off of us. 
Yeah, my brother's been trying to do that all week with us, doing his high-intensity exercises, which I've not yet participated in, but <clears throat> others have. If you see them dozing off, that's why. So for the joy that was set before him, Jesus saw the end result when he started out here. The Lord showed him what was going to be so he could shoot towards that mark. You sit before the Lord and he'll show you. And don't disregard how he's going to reveal that to you. Because we think, well, this is the only way God's going to speak to me. I'm going to flip my Bible open. By golly, if it's not written there, I'm not doing it. Don't become a Bible worshiper. I'm not saying that lightly. A lot of people do that. Well, it doesn't say you can't smoke marijuana, so I should do it. As a matter of fact, it says partake of all the herbs and weeds. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I have to tell you this. You know, most people know me as being serious half the time. I was... <laughs> I was in some church somewhere talking to some people I knew and they were talking about their kid. This is just a joke. Aside, you know, we should be people who are joyous and, and even if we're serious, people should know, you know, that we have joy in the Lord. And she was complaining about how their kids were so wild and, you know, they, they were thinking of putting them on medication and stuff like that. I just stopped and said, have you tried marijuana? <laughs> that person's face just went, I said, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, don't ever become so serious that, you know, you become otherworldly. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. But uh, we are the church. So what's important? Position or influence? We spend a lot of our energy trying to gain positions. Okay. So, in my company, I'm a guy way low on the totem pole, okay? But if God gives you favor, which he does, and he's given me favor, I can't call my CEO up and say, hey, this is a bad idea. And he says, let's talk about it. And I'll spend 30 minutes talking with him about it. And we're still friends, and I still have my job. Okay, how does favor work? Favor works like this. A few years ago, the prayer center was still open. It was a place that I was involved with. And we needed to close some streets off because we wanted to have worship outside on the streets. The place was too small. Well, how do you get a street closed up? I said, I don't know. <laughs> Called the mayor up. I said, Mayor, I need some streets closed. What do I do? He said, what streets do you need closed? Well, somebody will be calling you. Ten minutes later, Captain Sammy Brick called us. He says, I hear you need some streets closed. I said, yeah, this, this, and this. What time? It's so about 4.30 or 5 till about 7 o'clock. Okay, I'll send some guys down. 15 minutes. How does that happen? Well, the God gave me favor with the mayor. So I can call the mayor. Mayor and I have been friends for a long time. So I say, I need some streets closed. I don't know the nuts and bolts how it's going to happen, but he's a man with authority. He'll call the guy in charge and say, hey, make this happen. I'm not saying that to say I'm some special person. All I'm telling you is that I have understood how this thing works. And if God has put you in a place of influence, use it for the kingdom of God. That's why he gave it to you. Don't just do it to make your business prosper. Make the kingdom of God prosper. When the kingdom of God prospers, everybody around you will be blessed.
You know, a good worker not only brings uh, goodness to his company, he also increases his own favor. So be faithful in what you're doing, you know? One of the worst things that happens to me that I, that I, that I find out is, you know, is people who talk about Jesus all the time and don't do a darn thing, especially if they're at work. They're so busy talking about Jesus, you don't finish your work. Because, you know, you're engaged in gospel work. No, please, do your work. If you're a student, make good grades. If you're an employee, be honest. If you're a business person, deal with people properly. Don't let them leave your store and say, man, that guy calls himself a Christian, but I'm not going to buy another thing in that store. And if you eat out on Sunday afternoons, please don't be jerks to the waitresses and the servers. Sunday afternoon is a time when all these people who work in restaurants hate it because all the church crowd gets there and they treat them like, mm, I'm not going to say it. But <clears throat> I have many young people who are my friends, kids of my friend, uh, friends who say, well, they hate Sunday afternoon. They don't tip them. They don't, you know, they demand everything under the sun. Please, if you go out to eat this afternoon, be generous. God will give it back to you. They got to make a living too, right? And be nice to them. You know, I've made it a point that the worse the waitress is, the more I give them a tip. Or waiter, whoever it is. I have done it consistently for years now. While we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. Principle is the same, folks. It's not different there. If you're only good to those who are good to you, what did Jesus say? There's no commendation to you. Even the heathens do that. So if you want to be a heathen, go right at it. All right. We are conduits of God's grace. You know what a conduit is? In simple terms, it's a pipe. It's something that is made for the purpose of carrying something else. Okay? Now, all of us have a receiving end and a giving end. You shut either one of those off, you become dead. Freely you receive, freely you give. But if freely you don't receive, you got nothing to give. If freely you receive and you clog it up, you can't receive anymore. You become a cesspool. You ever been to a lake that's freshwater fed, like river fed? There's a big difference between a lake that's fed by a stream and one that just collects rainwater. Just do it sometime. Youtown has a lake that's spring fed, you know, and Muse Park is rain fed. It smells different even. Because the rain-fed thing only collects things, whatever falls in there, falls in there. It's a closed system, all right? A spring-fed lake will always have fresh water flowing through it. The water level doesn't go down. Fresh stuff comes in, fresh stuff goes out. So if you want to have freshness in your own life and abundance in your own life, keep the pipes open on both ends, okay? I do a simple thing here. If we hold on to what we have, the Lord says, come here, let me give you something else. What am I going to do with this? Well, put it down or give it to somebody. But I like it. I mean, it's been so good to me for the last 25 years. Why would I want anything different? And then that's what the Lord, at that point, he goes, whack. Don't make him do that.
My mom told me when I was very small, young, er, said, son, the Lord can speak to you in two ways. He can talk to you and you can listen, or he can take the stick to you. You decide which way you're going to do it. <clears throat> Done it both ways. One is way better than the other. Find your place in the kingdom. Don't forget who you are. You are the heirs of the kingdom of God. We are princes, princesses. God our Father, he's the king of the universe. There is no lack for us, anything we need. But if we want to be like the prodigal and eat pig's food, we can't. He's gracious enough to let us do that. But why? Find your place in the kingdom. Be a conduit. Find favor in the eyes of God and man. And things around you will shift and change. Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. Yes, there's something that's coming, but it is at hand. And if, like Paul says, if, if all we hope for is what is yet to come, we're of all men to be pitied. There's life here and now. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life, you might have life abundantly. And we can change things here now. Don't go out trying to shake the world. If you just do what God tells you to do, it'll get shaken. You know, Martin Luther wasn't trying to create Protestant, Protestant, Protestantism when he put up his 99 Theses. He just said, well, this is wrong. I need to make everybody let know it. The world is different. I must do the will of the one who has sent me. This is what Jesus said. So whatever God has, Jesus said, he's given it to him. Jesus says, I've given it to you. Are we lacking in anything? Say no. Because even though in our head we might go, yes, I am, that's not the truth. That's where you're going. Amen. Let me pray for you real quick. We're done. Father God, we just bless you. We thank you. Thank you for another year, Lord. And Lord, help us not to be the same people next year. Help us to be more like you, Jesus, less of us and more of you. Our Father, I pray that you would drive us toward yourself. And Lord, be merciless with us when it comes to just cutting away the things from our life, O oh Lord. And Lord, a lot of times when it gets hard and difficult, we say, stop, 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 no more. But you know, Lord, how much we need and what we need and when we need it. So Father, I pray for all who have heard this and those who will be listening later. Lord, I pray that your words will grow like seeds and bear fruit, Father. Lord, help us to remember who we are. And I pray that 2016 will be a year that is full of favor and grace of the Lord in our lives so that wherever we go, we are the light of the world, that we are the salt of the earth, that we are life givers, and everywhere we go, we bring fresh water to those around us. So Lord, I just want to bless not only this church, but all the Christians in Jackson this morning, Lord. I pray that people who come in and out of the city will know there's a city of God. We bless your holy name. We thank you and we praise you. Because you're a good God and you're a kind God. And you do not hold our wrongs against us, O oh God. But you continually Pick us up, clean us up, and put our feet on the path. And we thank you for your word, that even though we stumble, 
we do not fall because it is your hand that sustains us. So we bless your holy name. We praise you in Jesus' name.